it's International Week and we're not really sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing for Brendan Rodgers. What is a good thing for him though is that Leicester City, if reports are correct, need to come up with around 10 to £20 million in compensation just to let him go. The question is, who would you bring in to replace him? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show with myself, Roy Shanahan, David Buggle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com in a week that sees the return of the international games and we ask, should players from national sides who are not in form be in the national side? Do Leicester City need to relieve relieve Brendan Rodgers of his duties? Uh, Who would you replace him with? And as Man City seem to have already been given the championship in, in the Premier League, Arsenal are still top. So can Pep's team be caught by Arsenal? But they're already... Anyhow, you know what we're talking about. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, welcome to the big kickoff. Dave, Leicester City, Brendan Rodgers. It seemed to be a match made in heaven. And at the moment, Leicester City fans don't really want that to do with them. Yeah, look, it's inevitable. Um, I think he's probably getting to the point of... Um, what Scott Parker did, you know, I'm not saying he did it on purpose, but he went a bit harsh on kind of itching about the team quite quick after the Liverpool game and kind of seemed to force the hand. And it's been known since midsummer the problems of Leicester. Yes, it's still coming up, and it's coming up from the manager instead of just rolling up the sleeves and make the best of what you have. Obviously, he doesn't want to give up on his contract, which is what so many of them do. So it seems like if I keep moaning about it enough, they'll eventually go right enough's enough and listen. The results alone are doing that way. Looked like they were putting up a bit of a fight against Spurs, and then it turned out to be a six-two steamroller. So, one draw in the seven games. You know, the writing's on the wall because obviously they're in a spot of trouble. But to be out of the Premiership and be out of the Premiership money, like balloon payments are all well and good, but there's a big difference in in, in, in between balloon payments and, and even coming seventeenth. So, uh, balance in the books or no balance in the books, they'll they'll want to make sure they're still in the Premier League and at the moment this could be the ample opportunity to maybe have a look around and see who's available, which we're obviously going to bring up now. But um yeah, it may be inevitable at this stage. Neil, a lot of the fans are saying it's not just the fact that he hasn't had anything to spend, but the fact that he hasn't had a plan B when the team's been there. He hasn't brought in quality when he's been there. How do you assess what he's done so far? Well, I think if you look at his reign overall, I think what he's done so far has been pretty, pretty good. I mean, you know, they were up there in Champions League spots for the last couple of seasons. And I think due to the way that they run the club, the way that they buy players, you know, they buy them in low and they sell them high. They're almost like a kind of a Red Bull kind of franchise in the way they were doing business. The difference was they were able to find these gems that he was able to bring in and and kind of cover over the cracks. But I'm looking at the first 11 here now and, you know, it's it's kind of the wheels are coming off a little bit. Johnny Evans is the epitome of it, and I'm not saying Johnny Evans isn't a good pro, but you're selling on your bigger players for 60 million, 80 million, and you're just not replacing them with the same players of the same ilk. So I think that's what it, it duly comes for Brendan Rodgers and Leicester that they they're sticking to a prey structure, they're sticking to a system that did work for the past few years. 
But that cycle is coming to an end and maybe that also means Brendan Rogers' cycle comes to the end at the same time and they need to rejuvenate and, and maybe make a couple of internal changes. If you're a manager though, Neil, and you are looking to improve your side, and it's every side, it's no different for any other side, and you've seen it with Liverpool even, if they if you don't keep recycling and, and, and replenishing players and, and giving that sort of boost to the squad each year, you're going to struggle and that seems to be what's caught up in them. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, listen, you know, you've you got to look at the last couple of years of what Leicester have achieved. They've always been up in the top four and then obviously they've bombed out in the last week or two, but they've been there, thereabouts. They've been challenging up at the top. They've been doing well. But to keep doing that, you need to keep replenishing the players. And I mean, Vardy is the epitome of that. They've all been Pats and Dacca for an okay fee, but he was never going to replace Jamie Vardy. You know, the likes of Madison and Tielemans, these guys feel like they've been in the team years now and there's no fresh legs coming in. Other than Jewsbury Hall that started on the weekend, their midfield is pretty much as it's been for the past three seasons when indeed in the hole and roll, you know, you've Tielemans, Barnes and then Madison. So, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're a victim of putting a structure in place that is crippling Rodgers and the club from bringing in new players. But again, I would go back and say, they've still, I think they've overachieved for a number of years. And as a result, now we look at them and you see them struggling and it just feels weird to, to, to see the position that they're in. Yeah, Dave, let's have a look at a couple of people who could, and as you said, it's nearly a done deal that he'll be let go at some stage because if they keep losing games, the pressure's going to keep on the board to let them go. So, Five players, Sean Deitch. What do you think of Sean Deitch? Do you think that he'd be accepted by the fans? In their current position, personally, I would. Um, that's for sure. It's a scrap. I'm not saying he's the future. And I'm certainly not saying he's uh, he's going to get them back to any of these heights. But potentially, he's probably the here and now um, compared to one or two of the other guys that are floating around. Richard Pochettino, uh, why would he touch it like, at the end of the day? Um, but for me, that's who it would be. The, the guy has experience of fighting down there. He'll know what needs to be done. He'll know a certain way that needs to be played. And if, he'll, if he, and he has a chance to get it out of them or get the one or two potential, if there is any money to be had, or maybe they might have to sell something. That's the ultimate reason why they're here, guys. Um, they've kind of hit their ceiling financially and they had to have a have a season of kind of uh, what we have, we hold, and now unfortunately, it's 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 gone exceptionally bad. So for me, that's who it will be before we go through everyone else, because uh, the fight that you sent, right? You know, I I don't see why the others would actually take it. Obviously, we can go through them, but for me, he's the number one choice for the, for the here and the now, and and to get them at the very least just the seventy. Yeah, well, you've got the, the five that have been talked about: Thomas Frank, who's already at Brentford. So mm-hmm. uh, why would he move? Pochettino, Pochettino uh, who's free Rafa Benitez as well and Ange Postacoglu who today talked about how lucky he was yeah how lucky he was to be at such a big club uh, being able to play in the Champions League etc so would, oh, those are, you still think Deutsch is, is the favourite to go why would you kind of rule the others out well Postacoglu stick to what you have at the minute Um like Leicester were in a far healthier position when Rogers came down. Um, he was probably had his he probably had his time in Scotland. They probably couldn't get any better. He's won everything. He won three trebles in a row. 
So it was a few little stints in Europe, but you're not going to win realistically in Europe. So it's his time is done there, and that's the ultimate reason why he came back down. But Leicester are in a very good position, and um, now they're not. So if I was supposed to go, we'll stay where we are, win, win a few more titles, and uh, keep range of arms length, and keep your stock up, and maybe see if there's a better better gig around the corner. Frank, exactly, stay where you are. Jesus, why would you go near them? Bradford are flying high, and uh, Rafa, I just wouldn't touch him. I think his stay is done in that sense, or Maybe uh, he could be an advisory person or something in the background now with, with clubs because um, I just don't know. I don't. I just don't know whether the the, the fire is there the way it used to be, um, and that's why for me, Deutsch maybe just as I said, a, a bit of a quick fix. Not necessarily a quick fix, but definitely to hear now to at least as I said, get into seventeenth and just get get the job done and say, look, lads, I know what to do to get out of here. It might be exactly what you want, but do you want to be a Premier League footballer? Or do you want to be uh, trying to scramble getting out? Uh, uh, of a sinking ship at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Benitez needs money behind him as well. I don't think he wants to go through <laughs> yeah. another Everton, if if you want to call it that. Neil, we'll finish it off with yourself. Is there anyone else that you could add to that list? Is there anything you can add to what we've just said? Yeah, not adding to the list, but I'll echo a little bit what Dave says, and maybe with a twist, I'd actually go the opposite way. I'd love to see Postacaccio get that job, just the way he has Celtic playing football. I was saying the last couple of weeks that regardless of the way they went out against Real Madrid, they really had a crack at them in that first half. And mm-hmm. you look at that Leicester team, they still have life in the team. I think they just need a rejuvenating voice behind them and they need someone. Like, don't forget, he's every player is a new player to a new manager that comes in. You get that little bit of a lift. So I'd love to see Potokonko get that job just for maybe idle curiosity. And on the other hand, even as I say it, I'd like to see that kind of team with that type of attacking players under Sean Dyche to see what he would be like because let's be honest he was always on a shoestring budget at Burnley he didn't have any sort of attack in Arbery but you put Daka in there Tielemans Madison Barnes you know it's not like he can sit them all in behind the ball for 90 minutes the way he did with Burnley and play long ball he'd have to change his tactics slightly for the team so again that would intrigue me to see uh, a Dyche go in there but 100% agree with Dave as far as a safe pair of hands and a guy that knows the job the number one priority is not to go down this year regardless of everything else yeah it'd be interesting to see whether they they let him go because it's nearly inevitable before the international break finishes or give him another game or two which I really can't see so it's probably sooner rather than later now when we look at the, the Premier League Arsenal top the table at the moment with all the accolades going to Manchester City and Erling Haaland, Dave. Do we consider Arsenal as a real contender at this stage or is it something that's going to fizzle out? Yeah, like I think the obvious thing you can say is uh, they'll bottle it and slip and just if they get into the top four it'll be just barely by the skin of their teeth and all that. But I, I don't know. I think what they fought this year is a little bit more stale People might go, oh, they lost to United, United aren't that great yet still. That's it. But really, like, you know, I think that was just a tiny bit of an experience where they just forced, they forced the game a little bit too much when they equalised and then they let themselves a bit more open while a championship team who really know how it's done, listen, what we have, we hold, but if we get a chance, we take it at least. Let's not lose this point now away from home. So that that's probably where the potential of the inexperience might still be. But then again, hopefully the influence of your Jesus and Zinchenko is going to start coming to the fore and start going, guys, you just don't realise the little tiny intricate things that we need to do 
in order to get those hard-fought points that will get us that over the line. I'm not saying they're definitely the challenger for City, but my debate is whether them and I, and we, we have to, don't, we can't ignore Spurs either. They're unbeaten. They pretty much the exact same record as Manchester City, except they don't have they don't have quite as many goals, although they're not too far behind. So I think Arsenal and Spurs need to be in the same bracket as are they actual favourites for the other two, for well, for two of the top four spots, or are they genuine challenges? It remains to be seen. Um, but seven games in, you know, you can't you can't say for certain a hundred percent it's going to be all Man City. You never know. A certain fella gets injured. It could be very different, and all of a sudden, City start coming back in. It's not as straightforward as we think. So, I think there is a bit of room for debate to say that potentially, maybe these are the guys that are going to challenge them, and not the obvious one that we would have said before the season started. And that was Liverpool. Yeah, and the international break, and we'll be talking about the international games now in a second. The international break is here, Neil. Does it do any of these more of a favour to have an international break, or does it hinder all of them? Um, if even just talking about Arsenal, Roy, I mean, if you're Arsenal, there's no way you want an international break now. Your team is fully fit. You're after having a, a fantastic result the weekend, even though you're missing a couple of the senior players. You know, you've introduced a kid into the team. There's a little bit of electricity going through Arsenal at the moment. I definitely think this is the last thing that Arteta wants, and he just wants to keep that ship running. So for them in particular, I think he would not want to break. For the rest of them, again, we put on the Liverpool hat tonight. I mean, I'd say they're delighted, Klopp, is that they can get a couple of heads back, do a bit of work on the training ground. I think maybe only Trent Alexander get into the England side. So as far as having his core players, he'll have a lot of them. Obviously, Brazilian guys, etc. could be going. But um, for everyone else... Um, I think the, the length of the break won't do anyone any favours and there's some big games coming up like Arsenal Tottenham is the first game back for them so we're going to that'll test their mettle as far as how they're going to go this year so I, you know the way teams come back off the international break they're not always firing in particular for that first game so there's potential banana skins in there but uh, yeah no, I, I think the break has come I think the, most managers will say it always comes at a bad time but a two week break right now I don't think it's what they need looking into that kind of Christmas period Absolutely, I have a feeling Manchester City, who are used to this kind of scenario and, and are fluid, it'd just be interesting to see how Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal cope with that. Um, but again, I suppose we all I suppose we all think that Manchester City have this league won. <laughs> even even the, the pundits and the pros have nearly conceded it. So yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. Now, we talk about International Week and Dave, there's been a, a lot of talk about Harry Maguire, I suppose we really need to say, about his selection <laughs> in the England setup and how his form has been when you look at people talking about him that he's an essential cog in the England uh, wheel. He's not an essential cog in the Manchester United wheel. So is form for your club important when it goes into the an international break and when you go into an international team? Or is there some people who just happen to play well for the international team? Yeah, like, from when I was growing up, from my memory, it was very much more on form and there was a few more surprises thrown in from time to time because of what they did over uh, a two or three month period more so than over a couple of years. But definitely, I would say the last 10 or 15 years, I've noticed there's a little bit more lively in teams. Uh, squads don't really change too much, especially during a campaign, unless somebody is really ripping it up. 
And the fact that this World Cup was coming so soon, I think a bit of continuity and is it some and Gareth tries to play it well that he doesn't give himself too much problems in terms of media if he starts dropping them, it's gonna be the next hot topic of conversation and this, that and the other. Plus he hasn't really necessarily overly let him down, to be honest, with the way he plays a kind of a three at the back and the wing back, which kind of covers all three defenders and not just Harry Maguire. Yes, his club form has not been great as of the last few months, but it wasn't great at the second half of last season either. And um, last time we checked, England got to a major final, and have been and have been so far so good since since that. So it is a bit weird. Like look at the like straight away off the bat. Remember David Healy? Like don't really remember what he did in club football at all. But he was banging them in every time he played for Northern Ireland. You know there is certain players who just suit certain. Like international footballer just brings them to life. Uh, like Gareth Bale technically has done nothing for four or five years, but he still somehow pulls it out of the paddock for Wales to an extent. Not quite as much, but he still is. So I would say it's a bit more uh, nowadays continuity throughout a campaign and a little bit of Gareth Southgate just playing it cool, playing it easy. It'd be interesting to see if he starts. That would be the big one because maybe taking him out of that squad completely could destroy the confidence and really kind of kick him when he's down. But it'll be interesting to see does he play him uh, because there's two decent sides that they're coming up against. So it'll be very interesting to see whether he, whether he puts him in and, and puts the faith in him. Absolutely. I mean, you see uh, Antoine Griezmann is only playing 30 minutes every week. We'll talk about that now in a minute. You wonder if he's going to get a sniff himself in the French national team. But, yeah. Neil, it's, not, it's more so the fact that when Gareth Southgate went into that job, he made sure that anyone who was in the squad was playing well for their, their club, that they were getting minutes, mm. that form was a big thing. And that's just slightly changed. Is that a positive or a negative, do you think? Uh, I think you, you, you have to make a call as a manager and I think you've got to give him and maybe tip his, your hat to him a little bit because I think he's standing by Maguire in this because it is a very, very difficult period and I think the reason why he's standing by him is I'm looking at the defenders that have made it in. Of the centre-halves, and I don't know that you'll mm. agree with me, but I wouldn't be putting Connor Cody in. I wouldn't be putting no. Eric Dyer in. Um, and no. Tamori, which I found very interesting during the week, Fabio Capello came out and said that he's an unbelievable defender and he can't understand why he doesn't start for England, but he's ripping it up in the Italian league. But there isn't really, and even John Stones, they all have question marks over them. So I think this is Southgate's big question now. This is his stick or twist moment because two years ago, I remember it was uh, famous seven Sky Sports that Harry Maguire, aside from Harry Kane, was the most important member of the England squad because he held the whole back line together. So I guess the reason why he's sticking with him is because there isn't a big name out there that they can bring in and go, yeah. well, look, we have this guy. Because at the end of the day, and it, no disrespect, you know, Conor Cody's a great pro, but I don't think he's of that ilk. Eric Dyer has a catastrophe built into him. That's why he's only back in the squad now. There's a reason why he was out of squad and frozen out. They don't have a natural replacement. So I'm going to give him a little bit of, you know, I'll tip me half him that he's, he's standing by one of his players and he's give you know, a, a captain and a guy that he wants to get a little bit out of. And I would expect him to start them games because I think he badly needs the game time. Is it a bit of a risk, Dave, if he doesn't perform in the games here for England? Is he nearly pushing him out of the squad for the World Cup? Yeah, 
But then again, you have to roll the dice um, because you've, you've only got this really and then it's the next campaign. I think there's some fixtures in November, but to be honest, they're kind of, I would say, going to be the actual World Cup squad with a couple of extra bodies. So he probably has to see, has he got confidence in him? Confidence in him because there's no guarantee he's going to play for the next month, but he's going to have to play him and see, can he still do the job for me? He, he knows what I want. He knows the style of play. And if he can still do it for me, well, then maybe I'll stick with him. So he kind of has to roll the dice if it blows up. At least he does it now and not in the first game and they've lost and all of a sudden they're chasing the tail and they won't even get out of the group. So it's just one of those things where if, and I 100% agree with Neil, uh, there is a lack of talent when it comes to centre-half and he, I don't think he's that far. I, I wouldn't, I'd, he'd be in the same group as all the rest of them and I don't think it's fair to kind of uh, maybe turn him out just yet but definitely the, 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 he has to take the gamble and, and, and can he still do the job for me now because he doesn't have much time to uh, to reverse that decision. Yeah, it sounds like we're saying there's a big question mark over the centre of England's defence and maybe this could be the yeah. undoing now in this World Cup It'd be interesting over the next few games to see how they perform there. Now, Dave, I did touch on Antoine Griezmann and his famous 30-minute spell. I suppose the only thing Antoine doesn't understand is if he's going to be playing the first 30 minutes or the last 30 minutes. So uh, (laughs) tell us all about it, I suppose. Yeah, so there's a bit of history behind it. It's not just down to what's obvious in front of them at the moment. So... Atletico were claiming that Barcelona started this first and it all started when they first signed him in July of 2019. So his buyout clause was 200 million. However, it was to drop to 120 million on the 1st of July and he was sold and he was sold on the 12th and they paid 108 million pounds. So they paid 120 million buyout clause and they were claiming that the deal was done well before that and Barcelona were playing silly buggers and this, that and the other and nothing came out from it and, and it's basically tough. We bought him when we bought him. They're claiming the obvious agreement between the player and Barcelona was closed before the buyout clause was reduced and the, the proceedings were all but done and it's just dragged it out knowing you were going to save 80 million. So Atletico Madrid are kind of doing it back now at this point. We all know Griezmann went to Barcelona didn't quite work out and Atletico took him back on a two-year loan deal. Um, but it was stipulated that if Griezmann played more than 45 minutes in more than 50% of the games, then Atletico would be contractually bound to pay Barcelona 40 million euros. So that's where the current predicament has come up because last season Griezmann played more than 80% of the minutes. So were he to play a similar amount this season, Atletico would automatically have to pay the 40 million. So I don't know if it's a case that they can't afford it. I'd say it's a case of let's not give Barcelona 40 million euros. So the solution is, is to start playing them, uh, to bring them on from the 60th minute onwards, thereby guaranteeing that his appearances do not count as a full game and that the percentage decreases below the 50%. So up until Saturday's start, the run of seven matches, the minute he came on was 62, 62, 64, 63, 61, 63, 62. So a coincidence, I doubt if it is. So the percentage of minutes now during the loan spell has now been reduced down towards a 70% max. So there's a bit more time to go. So it's a bit of tit for tat by the looks of it when all is said and done. But ironically, when all now whether he said a tongue-in-cheek or just to piss off Barcelona, according to the boss Diego Simeone, at letting over Madrid play better with Antoine Griezmann in the lineup than out of it. 
<laughs> but he still only puts him on with a half an hour to go. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a crazy one. How long, Davis, is sustainable? Like Anton Griezmann is a player who who exactly. wants to be on the pitch. Uh, it, it's only a matter of time before he starts kicking up a fuss. Well, that's it. Like so, uh, Didier Deschamps is already asking the questions about. Well, is he going to be more tired? And the other guys, because he hasn't played a full 90 minutes, and it's the first time he maybe played 90 minutes is under me. So the question mark is already going to potentially affect his, his uh, more, I'd say more his World Cup starting spot than actual a World Cup spot. But then again, it might do because they've such a, an array of talent uh, in the French uh, the French squad. So basically, the question, and I read a bit of a, a column today that Ian Balagde wrote, and it's bang on the money here, and I'll quote it, but he said the biggest question everyone is asking is how long will actually Griezmann be prepared to put up with just being a substitute and how long will Simeone content himself with having to make do with the use of a major trump card so sparingly because obviously I presume Simeone is caught between the rock and iron place and I'm sure he wants to play more considering how much he played him last year yeah yeah well that's this is one where we're just going to have to sit it out and, and wait and see what happens yeah. but again is that that World Cup normally people are kicking up a fuss before the World Cup because they're not getting the game time and it'll be just interesting to see Absolutely. if, if Griezmann starts to rock the boat at all Neil Premier League are looking to scrap replays in the FA Cup and a, a League Cup revamp is this is this something that's positive for football in England or could this shake a few foundations in the clubs below them? Yeah, I, I think it's progress, Roy, insofar as, look, you know, there's enough moaning and whinging about the replays at any given time. I think as far as the format goes, you may as well get the tie over across one leg and then without replays, you know, bring in the penalties, the extra time, whatever needs to be done. I think it keeps the kind of the managers, and when I say managers, not just the top one or two, it's the guys that are in the Europa League the Conference League, you know, that are playing on the Thursday night, the guys that have a little bit more mileage in the legs, it keeps all of them happy. But it also, I guess, from a spectator point of view, it gives you that, you know, the one-off playoff game as a proper knockout competition. It gives you extra time in your penalties and it wraps it all up. So from that point, it's a, it's a good idea. But um, I guess if you're a lower team and you're trying to kind of I guess overhaul one of the bigger teams or you might get an away leg if you draw home and you might get that kind of glory of the certain cup competitions. Maybe it loses a little bit of glamour in that uh, in that regard because you miss out maybe on a payday or, you know, say for example, if someone goes away and draws with Tottenham and then you get the big glory game at White Hart Lane a week later, you know, so you, you miss out on that. So I guess it removes a little bit of the glamour, but to be fair, most of the top six managers have taken away a lot of the glamour and gloss off the cup competitions in the last few years by basically making them their third, if not fourth choice uh, for, the, for the way that they dispose of their squad. So, yeah, it's inevitable that it was going to happen and I think they're just keeping the guys at the top happy. Yeah, it's not really the glamour though, Dave. It's just, it is purely down to money for these smaller clubs and this is how they, they look out yeah. for these big ties and they look out if they can get a replay. That's twice we're going to get a big payday here yeah. on this and that might keep them going for, you know, the rest of the year. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, I suppose you could probably negotiate something in terms of if somebody's in the Premier League and somebody's non-league or League Two, maybe they get the bigger share of the t- of the box office instead of it. Because at the end of the day, these clubs are so big, and especially the European sides, that you know it's a bit of bonus money that they probably 
don't really care whether they're in it or not because they probably don't budget a, a long cup run because they take such a gamble with the amount of changes they make. So unless they come up with a bit of a pay, pay structure depending on who you're playing, that maybe it's not an even split and maybe a bit more 60-40 or 70-30 towards the, the lower league sides to kind of compensate that fact. I'm sure they can come up with something. But I do understand why it will mean a couple of less fixtures and in that sense it makes a bit of sense because it is a bit nuts. I suppose the one that will be interesting more so because replays have been scrapped up until a certain point. I think more importantly the interesting one will be the League Cup where there's potential uh, the teams playing in Europe could feel just their under-21s in a bit to freshen up the competition because there were talks of it withdrawn entirely but um, according to uh, the recent meetings that apparently the top flight are willing to stay in the cup and they don't necessarily want it scrapped so that would be interesting as well But and the squads yeah, they have they, Dave, think, yeah. the squads they have they should be able to play a, a decent enough t- team anyhow like even the likes of West Ham their yeah. sort of second team would be a decent enough side anyhow yeah man, I, I think so and I, I think the only thing they should really scrap in the Carabao Cup is the, is the, is the two-legged semi-final you know, because eventually the big the big sides get there and it's probably one less fixture that they need against each other. And as I said, for them, it wouldn't be as financially uh, like rewarding for them as the other. So that's probably the only thing I would do in that sense because they're probably in the, like the Liverpool's and Man City with this world are going to play the kids. Liverpool won't play the kids and, and a lot of change for that first round or two last year and only really started to take it seriously once you got to the business end. And that's the way all the teams do it. But at the same time, their squads are good enough because if you look at all the, the last few finals of the League Cup, more so the FA Cup, it's usually two of the big four, of the big four or five teams, regardless. Anyway, and um, not even not even too many of the mid-table teams uh, kind of get to the final the way they used to maybe say ten or twelve years ago. So it'll be very very interesting. And just a funny thing because I, I didn't know how I was going to segue it into it, but the fact that you said the under twenty ones. So you know the way the football league trophy, the under twenty ones, have a couple of Premier League teams in them. Yeah. So Liverpool played last night and a certain Brazilian Arthur Mello played for about an hour. Didn't really do anything spectacular but didn't do anything bad. Kind of got under the But guess who came on from? I have no idea. Did any of you read this? No. I shit you not. I shit you not. Jay Spearing. Spearing. I heard this. Joking. Jay Spearing is back at Liverpool. Probably a bit similar to Tom Huddleston. I don't know what's the story, bit of coaching, bit of playing for the under-21s, but Jay Spear, I always slag, once you're made captain of the under-21s, you will never make it in any club. And of course, he was captain for Liverpool under-21s for years, and he's still there. I don't know where he is, but he's back. I don't know. I haven't been trying to Google it, but I could not believe it. I was watching Sky Sports News, played an hour, didn't do it in spectacular, but didn't do it in long, got some minutes under the looked a bit tidy. And Jay Spearing has just come on from, and I had to go just like, what? When did Jay Spearing so go on? Liverpool? Go on, Dave, have a guess of his age. Jesus. Imagine he's only, what, 33 or something? Which imagine 33, exactly. There, there you there go. You go. <laughs> <laughs> Spot on. Well, that's the, that, that, what's that say? And I mean, I just think, for me personally, I just think that. Yes, I think replays should be there. I think, obviously, just the one replay, not like it used to be where you could have went three or four times. Um, the League Cup, I think, they've gotten rid of replays, I think, in the League Cup, so it's just straight to penalties in that. Anyhow, and as you said, the semi-finals should be just a one-off as well. But 
you know, all these Premier League teams are complaining and moaning about how tired their players are. They're getting, and, and they don't care what people say, oh, it's not about how much money they are. They're getting pay, paid an absolute fortune. They have huge squads. They should be able for this, absolutely no doubt. And I think this is just them edging out a little bit of money for the lower league clubs and, and looking after themselves. So I'm not on for it. Um, go on. Is it a lack of prestige, Roy, insofar as you look at Liverpool last year t- chasing a quad? If you were to ask them to rank the quad from one to four, they won the two that they didn't want to win. And not that they didn't want to win, but that they didn't feel, you know, they would have put the Champions League and Premier League, obviously, on a pedestal ahead of them. So I think that's what it comes down to that. You know, when the managers come out to the tough decisions, am I going to play my best 11 in the Premier League game or the Champions League game? Yes, I am. Okay, which one misses out? Which one gets sacrificed? Now, they all kind of mix and match and they can, you know, play the two centre-halves and then build a team around them in the shell of the midfield or the spine of the team. But at the end of the day, when the tough calls have to be made and they want to rest players, other than City, who can put out a pretty reasonable second eleven that wouldn't be too noticeable, even Liverpool, Spurs, Arsenal don't really have them resources. And that's why it falls away. It's a managerial decision. I don't think anyone above them is ever going to come down and say, hey, you have to put out your best team for the FA Cup first round. It's not going to happen. But it's it's just, I think it's lost its prestige over the last few years. Winning the FA Cup now doesn't really mean a whole lot in comparison to challenging for the Premier League, even finishing top four. So it's fought, they've all fallen down the pecking order. I, I, I agree. I think this is another step, though, towards diluting those competitions. Step by step, they've kind of diluted it and made it not really that special. Can you imagine now the FA Cup had a Champions League spot as uh, for the one of the winners? They'd all be taken it very, very mm-hmm. seriously, and it'd be a very prestigious competition then again. So, it'd be a yeah, it'd be a slightly easier way to get in than uh, say winning the Europa League. But then again, Arsenal and 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 United are trying to nurse their way through that as well. So I still, you'd like to think they take it more seriously. But um, yeah, they'd have to think about something because those first few rounds are tough to watch and you're kind of crossing your fingers that your team's not getting embarrassed because they're obviously going to roll the dice and play weak inside and then obviously once it comes to the last uh, the, the sixth round and onward they start to take it more seriously because it's only a game or two away and it's a potential confidence builder but having that extra carrot of uh, a top European spot may might make them take it more seriously in third rounds and um especially when you're going away to some of those weaker sides, they're getting to see the players who they really want to see because sometimes the guys don't even travel and there's nothing worse when you get that dream match that you don't get one. You get once in a lifetime and, uh, you know, they don't at least bring the guys to travel, let alone to play. So, like, to try and come up with something to to, to bring that competition to life because they try and flog it every year about the magic of the cup but it's not quite there for the last uh, 10, 15 years or more and certainly those first few rounds and then it, until it comes to the end. So, it's probably the only way you can do it. Otherwise, we're just going to have to pull up what we have. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave that one there. Neil, want to finish off with one thing because we've been discussing this kind of edging around it for the last few weeks. We were talking about Mane, talking about Moverham, Munich. We talked about Wijnaldum before and, and players that moved away from the Premier League who were at the height of their game, who were playing some of the best football they'd ever played and now are struggling in the leagues that they're in. Is this something that's just an individual thing, or is it just because there's certain leagues that suit certain players? 
Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. And obviously, from the Liverpool perspective, <clears throat> you have Wijnaldum who moved, obviously, to Paris Saint-Germain, who was on a kind of a contract fence. Would, would he jump or would he stay? And then Sadio Mane, I won't say dropped the bombshell, but I, I think most Liverpool fans of Poles would have rather keep him uh, rather than sell him to Bayern Munich. But anyway, he made the move to Bayern Munich. And I'm just looking at some of the quotes there from the likes of Didi Haman saying he seems isolated at Bayern. And now his manager, Nagelsmann, has basically said that he's not quite ready yet and that he hasn't settled and that he's playing at a different tempo. And all these things add up to just the player is not playing well, regardless of what way you look at it. It's a little bit like Grealish who's gone to City now and it's not suiting him. So I guess there's two ways of looking at it. The first is that, you know, Liverpool built their team around the way Sadio Mane played, you know, high octane, closing them down, gen-gen press, all that stuff. And now he's gone into a side that generally coast through games. He's playing kind of wide left, which you would be familiar with, but they're even playing him through the centre now as well a little bit when Lewandowski's gone. So there, there's a kind of a hole there that he, he's filled that is the main reason why he left Liverpool. So I guess it's, for me anyway, I think you have a player who the team was brought, he was brought into it to be a cog in a machine and now he was bought maybe for a bit of prestige or just because of the player that he was and he's arrived into a different machine and he just doesn't fit and it does happen from time to time, but the interesting thing for me is that everyone says the Premier League is the be-all and end-all and that everything is you know, faster, it's more physical in the Premier League. And yet there's a guy that's moved in the opposite direction, Haaland, who's just eaten the Premier League alive. And you have Mane and you have Wijnaldum gone into the French League, which is supposedly very, very weak, other than one or two teams. Mane's gone into the best team in Germany by a country mile. And they just don't seem to be able to settle and, and influence the game in the way we've watched them do for the past few years. Yeah, Dave, it's not the only one you've seen. Sebastian Haller, who came from Germany on fire, goes to England, yeah. doesn't settle, goes back to Holland on fire again. Now he's back at Dortmund. And hopefully uh, uh, he gets some good news on the health front uh, very, very soon. But mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. A ty- the type of player that we're kind of used to. Oh, he, He's not good enough for the, the Premier League. But you've seen players yeah. who, like the likes of Coutinho, who've been on top of the world in the Premier League yeah. and they go to La Liga and fall apart. But that's it. Like, and it was a famous quote, apparently, that Klopp said to Coutinho, stay here with a statue outside or go there and just become another player. And sometimes some guys aren't that brittle that they're not quite getting the same love or the grass isn't always green on the other side. Or sometimes they go because how much? See it. And then you get there and you go, yeah, the money's great, but not happy here like it's it's not easy moving countries like whatever about moving up to the north of the country or the south of the country but moving to a completely another country and it's not as easy with your family or your kind of friends that are around you like you can't like you could be of an age where you're have a wife and kids so you're not exactly bringing over a bit of an entourage with you and it's they're very much more isolated it's not quite so easy and like you look at certain leagues and sometimes we pigeonhole them but if you look at your, not just uh, Erling Haaland and Man City but Gundogan was from the Bundesliga. De Bruyne's success came through the Bundesliga and they're arguably the, the, the two best players at the moment and Haaland obviously is becoming one. And that means the three main players are, are ex-Bundesliga players. So as much as we both sometimes question the Bundesliga, three arguably the three best players at, 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 at Man City are from there. It just depends. I think it's the, the age-old phrase, horses for courses. And then obviously certain atmospheres that it's not quite what it was back there. Like, look at 
when Moyes went to Fer, uh, to United, he kept saying, apart according to Rio Ferdinand, he kept mentioning, oh yeah, when we were at Everton, when we were this, and the lads were like, you're not at Everton now, like, this is United. In other words, like, it, you can't, this is a different place, it's a different culture. And just sometimes, players just don't fit in or just doesn't suit. And uh, that's the nature of this business. And uh, yeah, it's a funny one. And uh, the two boys mentioned, maybe they're just missing the old famous clock hook as well. You never know. Well, that's it. Dave, or Neil, you can go along the same lines with Pep because Pep, nine times out of ten, his players perform. He gets players in, they perform. It's Is it something to do with the managers? Is it, you know, man management mm-hmm. getting the best out of their players? Yeah, 100%. I mean, right, look, we've, we've criticised Man United now for the past maybe eight to ten years as far as their selection process and their recruitment process. You know, if you watch the documentary on Manchester City, what I found absolutely fascinating was that they put up their first 11 on the board and in, in a 4-3-3 and then they put up like minus five years almost back to say who's going to come and replace these and then they went to the 17s and then they went to the 15s and they had a player for each position so remember the time where, where Sané left we were thinking wow they've let go of a star they didn't let go of anyone they, they had two guys ready to jump into a seat I think the only positions maybe Pep had a problem at the times was the full backs which he, he struggled at left back but they had another player ready to, to step in so as I said, it's like a machine that constantly runs and you're just changing out the parts, you're changing out the cogs and poor recruitment shows up just as much as really good recruitment and good management that brings in that guy, knows what position he's going to play in and just infiltrates him. And, you know, look at what Pep did with Foden. He brought him in, he brought him out, he protected him until he was ready to kind of grab the limelight. Um, and he's kind of doing that with Grealish at the moment. He's protecting him somewhat because he's waiting for him to ignite. But Pep generally gets it right, uh, whereas maybe other managers don't get it right. Or, as I said, in the case of Manchester United, where they're bringing in square pegs for round holes. There, there doesn't seem to be a technique behind what they're trying to build. Klopp is a great example of it. Pep is a great example of it. They buy the right player. And you look at Klopp, he waited to bring in Virgil van Dijk because he was the only guy he felt that could do that job. He waited to bring in Chieda. He waited to bring in you know, um, Mane and then Salah. He got the cogs that he wanted to build that team. So it is. it, it, it works both ways. Okay, we'll leave that there. It's, uh, it's definitely something that's interesting and we'd be interested to see whether Mane can turn his form around and be the player that he was or is he destined to finish off his career on a low when he had such an, an amazing time at Liverpool. Neil, Dave, thanks very much for your time. We'll be talking to you after the international break and uh, there's still a lot of football to go between now and then. See you then.